Welcome to Kissing in a Tree with your host, Kelly Nichols. Romance, intimacy, and self-love are easier when we talk about them, and even more so with someone to lead the way. Here is your host, Kelly. Hello, friend, and welcome to Kissing in a Tree. I am your host, Kelly Nichols, and today we have a remarkable guest joining us. Her name is Brandy Sellers, and she brings a wealth of expertise and personal experience to our discussion. Brandy is a certified sex therapist and a cancer survivor who has dedicated her career to helping individuals navigate the complexities of sex, intimacy, grief, and the changing relationship with their bodies after a cancer diagnosis. Today, I have the privilege of discussing these important topics that Brandy specializes in. We'll explore how cancer and grief affects one's sexuality, intimacy, and overall well-being. So rather you're a cancer survivor currently undergoing treatment or simply interested in understanding this important aspect of the human experience, I hope you find value in today's episode. Brandy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and just dive right in. I want to learn a little bit more about you. Can you share with me your journey to, and your motivation for entering the mental health field? Sure. I actually became a counselor after I was about five years out of cancer treatment myself, because I realized that not a lot of counselors really understood what it's like to go through cancer treatment and what survivorship is like afterwards and that just people in general have a hard time discussing cancer like it's not a fun thing to talk about and people really shy away from it yeah so I as I was thinking about like how could I make meaning with my life after this experience that I went through that was um, one way, one answer to that question for me that ended up being really healing for me. So that's how I entered the mental health field. And then I actually took my first sex therapy class because I like to study abroad and SMU has a campus in Taos and that was a class that was offered. So I thought, well, let me take this sex class and go to Taos because that'll be fun. And then realized really quickly into the class that working with cancer patients around sexuality was really needed and important work. So that's sort of how I ended up in this niche. Yeah. It feels like you are just the perfect person to discuss it because not only do you have the knowledge, but you also went through it yourself. So you can kind of approach it from both sides. Um, last year I was diagnosed with a disability. Um, it's a chronic pain issue. It's not life-threatening, but it has dramatically changed how I regard my body. I have to imagine that the impact of a cancer diagnosis on self-image can be incredibly challenging. How did your diagnosis impact your relationship with your body and what steps did you take to kind of reconnect with yourself during that time? So I had breast cancer and uh, it definitely impacted my relationship with my body in terms of like, um, I remember at one point thinking how, how many body parts could I lose and still be a woman? Ugh. What does it mean to be a woman? Um, but just all of those explorations um, as a result of the loss of body parts, I ended up um, I had cancer in one breast, but I chose a double mastectomy because I didn't want to ever have to go through any of those things again, if I could help it. And I had a really big tumor in the left breast. So I would have had to be monitored really closely if I had kept the right one. So I chose to have mastectomies 
And then the reconstruction that I had um, actually was using stomach fat and skin to reconstruct breasts, which um, was important to me because I don't have implants. So again, going back to this idea of not having more surgeries and more Like every surgery I saw is just an invasion on my body. And I didn't want any more of that than necessary. Um, But then I ended up having to have my ovaries out also because I was uh, estrogen positive. My cancer is estrogen positive. And so just like this constant loss or loss of function or malformation of body parts really affected how I thought about myself sexually and also brought a lot of grief about what I was losing. Like I nursed my babies with my breasts. And so losing those um, parts that had been so meaningful to me was also really difficult. Um, Just a lot of different ways to think about and notice what happens when we lose those body parts is really complex, that relationship with our bodies. Um, it's so then, like, sorry, I was just going to say, it seems so complicated just hearing you talk yeah. about it. Like you really are having to kind of hold space for it. medically. I need this done, but also yeah. I, I, like you said, you feel like your body is being invaded. I imagine that was incredibly difficult. Yeah. And also, you know, they ask you to, they give you this terrible news that puts you into shock basically. And then you have to make really important decisions that are going to affect your body for the rest of your life. And it's just, uh, it's kind of a time of whirlwind. And then after treatment, you're left with, um, like I heard it described as a battleground one time, like in a war, the thing that loses the most is the battlefield. And after treatment, it is like your body was like this war zone. And then how do you pick up the pieces after that? And what tools are available, which it turns out where sex is concerned, not very many. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, how do you go on from there and still live a life that is worth living? Um, Like they saved your life, which is great, but also it's important to have pleasure in our lives. And so that's kind of been my personal journey of how to figure that out for myself. And then I really enjoy helping others figure that out as well. It seems like the way that you kind of took steps to fill at home in your body again was through education. Are there, is there anything else that you did to kind of feel more comfortable in your skin during that time? I think the biggest thing was having awareness that I deserved that. And that like I tell my clients all the times like we aren't going to take crumbs like I didn't ex- I didn't survive cancer at 37 so I could just like eke out an existence for 50 more years or however long I live yeah and so this idea that I deserve to have pleasure like it really has to start with that because then from that place you can be curious about what does that mean and what does that look like <clears throat> and that's where the education comes in Uh, So many people, especially heterosexual couples, you know, oftentimes their sex is just like penis, vagina sex, and that's it. Yep. It's possible, depending on what kind of treatment you have, that you can't have that anymore. Well, so then you have to really be aware of what other things are available. And um, then all of these sort of couples issues can come into place. Um, how has your experience living through that 
change your approach in your practice? Like what experience do you have or what experiences do you take from that that you can use to work with clients who are currently going through a similar stage of their life? I would say the biggest thing is I'm pretty good at noticing when people are not allowing themselves pleasure. I think Mm -hmm. that's also a societal thing too. Like we were a country based on Puritans, right? And yes. The devil's workshop and we got to grind it out. Like it's the American way. And I'm very much not in that mindset. And I, I really value helping my clients figure out how they can also leave that mindset and take time for pleasure and leisure and we did not come here to just work hard and die. So we got to build time and space for other things to happen. So that's really the biggest thing that I take into my practice. And it just looks different for different people. Yeah. So much of it. I mean, mental health is so individualized that trying to kind of yeah. broad strokes that can, can be hard, but I appreciate you putting into words kind of how you have taken that experience and let it shape your journey. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you, what are some challenges to sex and intimacy that you feel are unique to cancer patients or others with a major illness? Because of course, everybody can struggle with their body, but when you were dealing with a health issue, it definitely makes that um, struggle harder. It does because it definitely can affect functioning. And one big aspect of my practice and my experience is that I was 37 when I got diagnosed with cancer. And so I was very much, actually, I was considered a young cancer patient because AYA cancer patients are adolescents through um, diagnosis under the age of 40. And that brings its own set of issues because if you get, if you get breast cancer, for example, when you're 70, you might, you probably have already gone through menopause and experience all of those changes. But if you get it at 37 and then you go through what, what we call chemopause, then your hormones have this very sudden shift because of the medications they give you so that then you're going through cancer treatment and you're also going through menopause. And also it's not normal to be 18 or in your twenties or 37 and thinking and be thinking that you might die. Yeah. Also a non-normative life of it. Right. So uh, going back to the sexual functioning, you like I was 37, but things that were happening in my body are things that normally happen to women who are 50, 55, 60, and now 12 years out of cancer treatment. In those ways, it's like my body is 60, 65, uh, because I haven't had estrogen for all of this time. Yeah. So that's one thing in particular that for people with vulvas and ovaries <laughs> or estrogen, that cancer can really impact um your functioning in those ways, but also pain, um, anything that causes residual pain can affect functioning, whether it's, um, literal pain with the organs involved in sex, or also just the ability to hold yourself up in certain ways or do certain positions. Um, it really can impact all different aspects of sexuality, not to mention what you think about yourself as a sexual person after or during an illness. Yeah, I know that in my life, 
some of the times when I feel most connected to my body are during sexual encounters, right? Like when we are doing that, especially with someone that we love, we feel very at home and it almost feels powerful in a sense when, um, you are working with cancer patients or even in your own experience, have you, um, found that people often have a hurdle where that is concerned because they are now dealing with so much trauma related to their body? Yes. So it's hard to want to be embodied if your body really hurts. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely a hindrance towards having connected sex because it does require you to be present and be in your body and notice sensation and touch and all of the things that are happening during um, mm-hmm. sex, partner sex. And uh, if your body really hurts, you don't, that's not necessarily something that you want to be in your body and experiencing that. Um, I actually had a really interesting experience in Sydney where I took my second sex therapy class. Um, we had an assignment to have a, a sexual site visit and I visited a dungeon because I didn't really like I didn't really have a good understanding of BDSM or kink. And one of the things that I learned in that visit was that those people are that seek that out are also wanting to combine pleasure and pain. And It really struck me that as a cancer survivor, that's what a lot of us are doing, but we aren't, we aren't choosing the pain. We're not signing up for it necessarily, but we're also trying to figure out how can these things exist at the same time. And that was really eye-opening for me about the kink community is that they're, they're really doing that too, just in a different way. Mm -hmm. I would have never thought of that. And that is such, such an interesting observation that you have, because there really is a direct parallel, you know, how you got to that place is very different. And the reasons why are different, but trying to experience a sexual encounter with you know, holding space for pain. It is a direct parallel. That is brilliant. Great job. (laughs) Um, Something that I work with in my practice um, is obviously body positivity. It's an important subject in my work. How do you incorporate body positivity and self-acceptance into your work with cancer patients who are dealing with so many physical changes at once? One of the ways that I do that is I will have a lot of clients write a love letter to their body and from the aspect of what do these parts do for me, not what do these parts look like. Mm. That actually came out of something I did for myself when I was in treatment is I was sitting in the chemo chair and thinking how mad I was at my body and it was not doing all these things I wanted it to do. And that was really pissing me off. But I had this thought that like my feet walked me into that place, even though I didn't really want to be there, but I had to be. And Mm -hmm. so then I wrote a love letter to all of these parts of my body that were continuing to do what they needed to do, even in the midst of this terrible thing happening. So I focus more on what, what are the positives that we still can do and expand on that. Same with sex, really. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That is something that, like I said earlier, I have become disabled and about a year ago. And that's something that I have had to really reevaluate because I do feel so positively about my body. I am the biggest fan of my body. And so having to deal with now my body is in pain all the time and there's nothing I can do about that made me almost resentful. Like I, I was angry and that made me 
to start to view my body differently. And I really had to reevaluate, like I said, like you said, what has my body done for me today? You know? Um, and that did help kind of shift it a bit for me as well. Did you find that you were dealing with resentment during that time too? Yeah. And I had a lot of resentment about the fact that I quote unquote did everything right. Like I had been vegan for a while and before that had been vegetarian for a long time and I was a runner and I was, I'm a yoga teacher. And so like I, my resentment was like, I did all of these fucking things and then I got cancer anyway at 37. But that also ended up being lovely because then I, it freed me to do the things I wanted to do and stop doing the things that were a slog that I didn't want to do. Mm, that's a great, a great viewpoint for it too, that it, it really can free you once you Lego all the shit, you know? <laughs> Like now I eat cake when I want cake. Whereas before I'd be like, well, should I eat that? I should blah, blah, blah. I don't do that. Now, if I want it, I eat it. Yeah. Uh, And I don't, you know, I'm not like juicing celery all the time because I don't like it. So not respect it has been helpful. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that your relationship with your body has changed since you've kind of started to give yourself a little bit of grace where that's concerned? Yes. I'm far less obsessed with how it looks. Yeah. And I think that also comes with like focusing on what it does for you. Right. And that's why I think sex is one of the most healing things, especially if you're struggling with your body, learning to start to have really good sex. Even if you are just having sex with yourself, you are masturbating, learning how to do that and how to do that well can really make you feel more empowered in your body. Well, thank you so much for sharing what you have. I know that there is so much more to talk about. We have just at the tip of the iceberg, but we are going to head into a very short break. Stay tuned. When we get back, Brandy and I are going to be discussing grief and how you can kind of hold space for grief while still being um, in a happy relationship. So stay tuned. We will be right here. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Willow Intimacy offers body positive sex and relationship coaching to improve your relationship with others and with yourself. Transform your sex life and schedule a virtual appointment anywhere in the U.S. Visit willowintimacy.com today to schedule a free consultation and start your journey towards more fulfilling relationships. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. No relationship is perfect. There is always room for improvement, but sometimes knowing where to start can be challenging. Willow Intimacy proudly serves women, men, and non-binary clients and comfortably coaches straight and gay partnerships. Take the first step and schedule a free virtual consultation at willowintimacy.com today. We're here to support your journey towards healthier relationships. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Welcome back to Kissing in a Tree, hosted by Kelly Nichols. Have a question for Kelly or her guests? Email them at show at willowintimacy.com and you might just get your question answered on air. Once again, that's show at willowintimacy.com. Now back to your host. Hi, we are back. Thank you so much for staying tuned. Before the quick break, we were talking with Brandy Sellers about navigating a cancer diagnosis and how someone who is kind of starting that journey can connect with their body sexually. We're going to go ahead and jump right back into it. Brandy, I did want to talk to you a little bit about um, how someone who is in a relationship with someone who has been diagnosed with cancer can kind of best support them in that process and in in the reverse also, how can someone who has been diagnosed with cancer help support their partner's sexual needs during that time? That's such a great question. And I think something that is not uh, talked about nearly enough is what about partners of cancer patients and cancer survivors? Because it really affects, uh, if, if the partners are sexually active together, it can really impact the things that they're able to do sexually. And I think one thing I see is a lot of judgment about caregivers who still have desire for their partners and they're really losing something too. And they might have grief about that, just like the cancer patient might have grief about that. And I think it's a great opportunity for couples to have curiosity and open communication about we can't maybe do all the things that we did before, but what can we do and how can we experience pleasure together? And that's really important. And I think that we need to not lose sight of that because caregivers are also really directly impacted by a cancer diagnosis. You're absolutely right. And I think part of what you talked about when we first started the episode was how even just talking about cancer and grief is something that is so shamed in our society and sex is too. And so kind of dealing with both of those things at the same time, especially if there is a problem, right? Like when you are dealing with an illness and you still have a partner that is desiring sex, holding space for both of that seems difficult. What tips do you have for someone who is kind of in that position? How can they reconnect with their partner if they are feeling um, a bit of resentment about their partner's desire? I think engaging with a sex therapist, I mean, I'm a sex therapist and not to toot our horn, but it can be really helpful because our sex education is so poor in this country that we don't really have even a good language to talk about sex. And so then when there are sexual problems, we don't know how to talk about them because no one ever helped us learn to talk about sex. And that is what a sex therapist or a sex coach can offer is tools and language to talk about it. Um, One of the things, one of the models that I like is um, like a desire cake, intimacy cake. And like the bottom, the fat layer of the cake could be like kissing and handholding. And then it goes up to whatever is like sort of the pinnacle of your sexual experience together. And we might have to change that, what that intimacy cake looks like or what our sexual script looks like. Mm -hmm. And that requires curiosity and assuming positive intent and communication in order for that to happen. And for couples who don't have those skills already, that's going to be really hard without somebody helping them to facilitate that. 
Yeah, it sounds like it, especially if, like you said, we we don't have the language to talk about it. You know, our sexual education in America is, you know, in my opinion, hardly education. <laughs> so if you aren't given the tools and the language to kind of discuss these hard issues, you're, you have a more difficult time even saying what the problem is. And it is something um, very similar when you were talking about grief and cancer. You almost don't want to bring it up because you feel like it's going to be such a downer. It's um, requires so much of the person you're talking to, to kind of hold that space. I imagine that you see a lot of that in your practice where there is crossover between your work related to cancer and your patients, um, who are kind of dealing through grief. What have you learned works well with both of those groups? Cause I imagine there's a lot of crossover. There is. And the biggest thing I think with grief is acknowledging a loss. And a lot of times I see people or I hear people try to say, like, I don't know why I am so sad about this, or I wasn't even that close to this person. Why did this affect me? Or it's just a pet or, but like, there isn't any sort of like, um, chart for what grief is worse than other grief or Mm -hmm. how certain things should or shouldn't impact us. It's just this very human experience that's different for different people. And validating that it's okay to be grieving in the way that you're grieving for as long as you're grieving, I think is one of the biggest things that helps clients is just acknowledging, hey, that's okay, that this is really hard for you. And that is something that we also don't have great language for, right? Is like conveying our emotions and how we're feeling, especially negative emotions. I know even I struggle with kind of sitting with difficult feelings because it um, makes us physically feel worse, right? Like if we are experiencing grief, it can make us physically um, feel bad and that can make it hard to connect sexually. Do you have any tips for, um, kind of going through that process? When we think of grieving, we, um, are, I, I know that I worry about, it might be disrespectful or inappropriate to also think about sex when we're kind of in this grieving period. What do you think are some tips to help someone get over that? I think understanding what is the purpose of sex? I think it's easy for us to have a really limited, view of that. And sex is stress relieving. It brings blood flow to your pelvic area. Um, and it also can help us when we're grieving if if we want someone to be that close to us and we feel safe to do that. It can be a great stress reliever because it um, gives us oxytocin, <coughs> excuse me, or hormones. Um, that can just make us feel better. And so if we have a partner or partners that are willing to be with us in that, it can be a great healing tool and it's okay to use sex for that healing tool. Mm -hmm. Um, I totally agree. I think you put it beautifully when you were talking about the benefits of having sex during that time. And like I said earlier, before the break, sex is a great time to really be in your body And sometimes when we are going through difficult things, it makes us feel really detached and sex can be a great way just to connect even with ourselves, even if we take our partner or our partners out of it. 
Um, I also wanted to ask you, when we think about grieving, we often think about the loss of a parent or a spouse, but as you mentioned, grief can come in more ways than one. Do you work with clients who are experiencing grief from the loss of a friendship or a relationship or a pet? Yes, I think working with humans means that that's always going to come up in Mm -hmm. counseling relationships sooner or later, because a lot of us have pets. And even if it's a pet fish or maybe a pet that is less interactive, it might (laughs) really impact someone to lose a pet. And most pets, I mean, I'm home all day working from here with my dogs. And who, who, what person do you spend that much time with that you spend with your pet? Not that many, probably. You're right. Or even the loss of a famous person who was important for you or impacted you in some way. Like all of these, grieving all of these things is valid and can really be a difficult experience for someone to have a loss of a pet or a friendship or especially a relationship where the person didn't die, but the person left and you don't know why. That is something that I absolutely want to touch on. So when you are dealing with a um, relationship that has ended rather than your partner passing away, what are some tips to help someone grieve the loss of that connection, even though the person is still alive? I think acknowledging the loss, even in a way that would be like acknowledging a death, And also acknowledging why that person was important and what you got out of that relationship. Sure. Yeah. Um, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I think acknowledging the importance of that relationship kind of signifies that that is something that I can mourn. I don't even necessarily have to be mourning the loss of that person in my life because a lot of times relationships end for good reason, right? But just acknowledging that like that person was important to me and they are now gone can be um, beneficial. It's also interesting. A relationship can end and not be the right thing. And we can even be the one to end it and we can still have grief about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I know that um, I... And married now, but I have been divorced and just kind of going through that process was difficult because even though I knew it was the right choice for me and it was absolutely the step I needed to take, it still was something that I had to grieve and kind of work through to kind of come out on the other side of that. Um, So we've talked a little bit about how you can grieve different events in your life. In that vein, what are some universal signs or symptoms of grief that transcend the circumstances of the loss itself? What do you think are some some things that everyone who is experiencing grief go through and some tips that they can utilize in their life to work through that? I think just a heavy sadness is seems to be a pretty universal grief experience and whether you know whether the person is tearful about it or not just a heavy sort of sadness that uh where the person might not have as much energy might not be able to do as many activities of daily living as normal um they might need to take some time off Um, Those seem to be pretty universal. And also another thing that isn't maybe everyone that's grieving, but a lot is we do avoid it. Um, Mm -hmm. 
you know, or if, if it's a really big loss, we, it may take us some time before we even realize, oh, we need to spend some time grieving this person and thinking about what they meant to us. And uh, going back to this idea about grind culture, you know, in America, like your mom dies, you're supposed to go back to work the next day or two days later, or, you know, we don't take time to acknowledge the loss. And so I think that's something that we have to do for ourselves is have a grief practice, whether that's sitting down for 10 minutes a day or going someplace special or one thing that I've done is my mom uh, died a few years ago and then her mom also died a few years ago is I practice my grief and sit with my grief with them through cooking things that they cooked or like I have some things of theirs that I wear or go places that I knew were special to them. And, and I'm very, uh, it's meaningful and I'm very purposeful about that when I do those things that I am connecting to them. And so I think that's one way that we can help ourselves through grief is to remember that we are still here and we can still connect to those people or things, even though they are not still here. Yeah. I love the way that you talked about a grief practice. I think that's something that not a lot of people talk about, and it's a great tool, especially um, for anyone who has experienced repeated grief, because that's how unprocessed grief feels, right? It's like, if we haven't really processed the grief that we've already gone through and then something else traumatic happens, it kind of all compounds. Can you talk a little bit about how someone can work through some of that and maybe even what that grief process might, or that grief practice might look like? Yeah. When you were speaking, I was really thinking about uh, people who have a loved one who have Alzheimer's or also who are dying, but it's taking a long time. And Mm -hmm. that is like, you're just in grief and you also have anticipatory grief for an extended period of time. And one thing that I notice with people like that is they really judge themselves for their feelings about it and don't acknowledge that this is a very difficult extended emotional experience. And like with Alzheimer's and dementia, the person is dying very slowly right in front of you, but their body is fine for a very long time. And I think people don't acknowledge what a difficult emotional experience that is and give themselves um, grace for feeling sad or angry or frustrated or whatever they're feeling about that. And would how would you recommend that someone in that position can reconnect to their partner, especially when their partner is ending, you know, their life. Uh, Oh, you mean like if their partner is dying? Mm -hmm. I think really good communication about what, how can we experience pleasure together? How can we support each other? Whether that's sex or maybe sex is off the table, but that could still be handholding. It could still be physical closeness. And instead of turning away, So it kind of also goes back to just sitting with difficult things and staying present, even though it's really hard and nobody wants to do that. I mean, nobody wants to be in that place. Um, But I think the partners not turning away from each other, but turning towards each other to be curious and communicate and connect, I think is really just the best Mm -hmm. recommendation. 
When we are talking about kind of relationships and how the grieving process can change those, we've talked a lot about the person who is kind of going through the grief for the other person. How can they support their partner? So if your husband has a close friend that passes away, how is the, what is the best way to support them in that time? I know that we've talked a lot about communication or there are some other things yeah, I think uh, doing more of their share of the uh, care tasks at home or parenting tasks, um, but also asking them because, you know, some people like to stay busy when they're grieving. And so yes. we also don't want to apply help in a way that isn't helpful. Um, so that really does go back to communication. Like, hey, I was thinking I would do these things that you normally do. Would that be helpful to you? Um, or would something else be helpful? Um, I think that's really a big thing is taking load off of them and also just saying, Hey, I'm here and I know this is hard for you. And I'm available to hear about that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important, especially holding space for your partner. Um, I know that anytime I'm grieving, my husband is great about giving me the space to talk about it as much or as little as I want. Um, and also offering your partner options, which is something that again, my husband is great at. He will say, do you want to discuss it? Do you want to be distracted? Do you want to disassociate? Like what (laughs) do you need that's going to fill your bucket the most, especially when you're going through a hard time? Cause that's really how we um, care for one another. So I really appreciated you talking about um, holding space. Do you see in your practice that couples have a difficult time doing that with one another? Sometimes, and I see that some people sometimes think there's like a statute of limitations, like your dad died three months ago, you should be over it by now, Mm. as opposed to knowing that we could have grief come up forever about the loss of someone, right? And so that's part of that holding space too, is knowing that it's not like we're on a timeline that we're going to finish grieving and check it off the list, Um, But we might be sad about something for a long time and just to give the other person space to talk about that without judgment. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. Um, I have loved this conversation. You've been so informative. Thank you so much. We are going to head in to another short break. I first want to thank you so much for listening. We've been talking to Brandy Sellers. She will be back with us after the break to answer your questions. So stay tuned. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. No relationship is perfect. There is always room for improvement, but sometimes knowing where to start can be challenging. Willow Intimacy proudly serves women, men, and non-binary clients and comfortably coaches straight and gay partnerships. Take the first step and schedule a free virtual consultation at willowintimacy.com today. We're here to support your journey towards healthier relationships. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
Willow Intimacy offers body-positive sex and relationship coaching to improve your relationship with others and with yourself. Transform your sex life and schedule a virtual appointment anywhere in the U.S. Visit willowintimacy.com today to schedule a free consultation and start your journey towards more fulfilling relationships. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Kissing in a Tree, hosted by Kelly Nichols. Have a question for Kelly or her guests? Email them at show at willowintimacy.com and you might just get your question answered on air. Once again, that's show at willowintimacy.com. Now back to your host. We are back. Thank you so much for listening. So far, we have been talking with Brandy Sellers, who is a certified sex therapist, about how cancer and grief can affect your relationship and your overall um, satisfaction in your sexual life. She is here to answer your questions. But before we get to that, I first want to highlight this week's health clinic. Again, this is not a paid sponsorship. This is just information. I feel like it's important for you to know. This week, we are going to talk about the Cascade AIDS Project or CAP. They are an organization based in Oregon and Southwest Washington that is the oldest and largest community-based provider of HIV services, housing, education, and advocacy in the area. HIV and STI testing is aimed at gay, bisexual, and queer men and trans folks, but no one is turned away for services. All testing is confidential, free of charge, and you will receive your results within 20 minutes. They even offer free testing kits that can be mailed to your home. If you would like more information or if you would like to to donate to this wonderful organization, please visit them at capnw.org. Again, that is C-A-P-N-W.org. All right, Brandy, I've got some questions from our listeners. Are you ready to dive in? Sure, let's go. Okay. So this first one says, I have been single for a while and I really want to start dating again. I've tried putting myself out there, but I am terrified to try online dating. I have a lot of hangups around my body that make me worry that no one will be attracted to me again. I'm worried that a guy will end up not liking how I look in person compared to my photos. What can I do? This is such a great question. And it's something that I have really wrestled with myself as a single cancer survivor and, um, And also as someone who's had a lot of body changes because of treatment. And I think the very first thing is to do individual work around body acceptance. And uh, with a counselor or on your own, just to work to appreciate the body that you're in and sort of root out those judgments about it or about scars or whatever it is that are those sort of body hangups. I think that is really the first thing because then there will be a little bit more confidence going into dating. And the other thing is to be honest with the, with your potential partners, because you really don't want someone who isn't going to respect you and respect what you've been through. And if they do judge how you look in person compared to your pictures, even though I know that's painful and I acknowledge that those also aren't the people for you. That's not 
someone that you're going to want. So when I feel like it's not a good connection, I'm grateful because I'm like, okay, well now I don't need to spend my time with this person anymore because they are not for me. And I deserve someone who appreciates me for who I am. You are absolutely right. I think you hit the nail on the head, especially about, um, you kind of get off the hook when you find out that someone's a jerk or that they're not into you, you don't have to waste your time anymore. Right. And that is the thing that none of us can get more of. We have X number of days on earth and we shouldn't waste them on anyone who isn't into us. (laughs) I'm a strong proponent of that. Um, something that I thought about when I read this question is, um, she mentions photos specifically. I want to encourage the listener to post accurate photos, because that is going to be what is in your best interest and your potential partner's best interest. Also, if you are posting photos that are recent and accurately reflect how you look, then you don't have to apologize for your body and you should never apologize for your body. Whatever body you have, that's the body that you have and you don't have to say sorry for it. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it's been through. That is your body. And I feel like society tells women, especially that we have to say sorry for not being perfect. And so I really want to stress that, like put accurate photos on and then do not apologize for your body because that isn't what is important anyway. Um, I did especially like this question for our episode, because I do imagine that after going through a cancer diagnosis, it would be difficult to kind of put your body out there, especially when, um, it has changed in a way that someone might not expect, right? Like if we have scars that are covered by clothing and then clothing comes off and we haven't disclosed that information, it might be startling. Do you have any tips for someone working through that? I go back and forth about this myself um, because when I had my mastectomies, I had my nipples removed and you can get reconstruction, but they are definitely not like the original model. Okay. (laughs) And um, and a lot of women choose to go flat after breast cancer, but might wear prosthetics. And so with clothes on, like you said, it appears like if you saw me, you would have no idea that I, any of this had happened under my clothes. And so I have thought a lot about like, when do you disclose and when do you not disclose? And I see talks about this on the message boards all the time, especially with younger cancer patients like myself who might be dating and single. And, um, and I think there is not, I think there's more than one right answer. Mm -hmm. Um, I think disclosing when you're comfortable disclosing is the right time. And, um, I am a proponent of disclosing before the clothes come off, but, uh, again, I think there's more than one right answer. And I think you have to kind of feel out what feels the best what each person feels is the best for them. Yeah. I do think it's so individual, especially because, um, how awkward, right? Like someone who hasn't gone through that experience doesn't feel the need to be like, listen, my left boob is a little bit bigger than my right. Right. Like that's not a thing we have to disclose. So it, I'm sure it would feel unfair, especially after what you've gone through has already felt so unfair. Yes. Also, I do want to add, though, if you're with someone and you don't think that they are going to respond well, tell them right away. Because the the last thing, it would be very difficult to be in a situation where clothes came off and the person rejected you. And that would be very painful. So Mm -hmm. I do think if you're with someone and you're doubting if they will be 
supportive, then you should tell them right away. Also, maybe don't be with someone who won't be supportive. That, yeah, that too. And also like what we said, it, it saves us time at the, at the end of the day, right? Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and jump into our next question. Um, this one is a bit difficult, just letting everyone know. It says, I found out recently that my sister who just turned 17 is dating a 21-year-old. I'm even more worried because I think he is love bombing her, which is a huge red flag. Our parents are totally fine with it, but my other sisters and I are worried. What should I do? Should I just stay out of it and let her work it out? I normally would, but I'm just scared that this guy is going to cause her permanent damage. Uh, I think first you could check state laws because depending on what state you're in, that might be something that is reportable to the police or CPS, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, so she said the parents are supportive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a hard question. It is. Yeah. I, um, agree that I would look at the law. Um, I do encourage you to talk to your sister, especially if you're noticing red flags already, that might be a better way to approach it because she's already going to be on defensive about the age difference. So maybe if instead you can highlight the way that he is harmful in other ways, that might um, soften it a little bit. Um, I do want to ask you, Brandy, she mentions um, love bombing. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is and what that looks like? Sure. That's where you might be in the early stages of dating someone and they're already telling you they love you and planning, you know, their life with you or making big promises or sending you flowers all the time. And it's kind of easy to fall for because we all want to be loved and we want someone to give us small gifts or large gifts. And um, so it's, it's kind of easy to get hoodwinked by love bombing and love bombers know that and really take advantage of that and often prey on people that are younger um, or maybe less experienced. And so I, I think though what seems to happen is that people who are being love bombed also have like their intuition is maybe talking to them a little bit, but they discount it because of the love bombing and the, because that feels good. And so with this person, with the sister, I would maybe ask some questions around that. Like, you know, did you feel awkward about anything or to try to encourage the person to pay attention to their own intuition? Yeah, I think that's a great idea, especially because, um, like you said, love bombing typically happens or frequently happens when there is an age difference in the couple. I also would encourage you to talk to your sister about um, a healthy power dynamic in a relationship, because that's part of why these laws are in place, right? Like, even though you think 17 and 21, that's a four year difference, but at that age, that is huge when it comes to your lived experience, when it comes to even the confidence you bring in a relationship. And that's why it is a breeding ground for abuse when you have an age difference that large at that young an age. So I would really encourage you to talk to her a bit about a healthy power dynamic in a relationship and what that looks like. Brandy, can you talk about that a little bit and what a healthy dynamic of power in a relationship looks like compared to maybe this relationship? 
Yeah, so definitely it would be non-exploitive, right? And the older person usually does have a little more power, especially in this situation, because the older person is an adult and the other person isn't, right? And so, and I think this also goes back to our poor uh, sex ed in our country, because the sexual health principles, like if a 17-year-old knew about them and knew about consent and non-exploitation and honesty and shared values and protection and pleasure, then yes. that would really have maybe inoculated her a little bit uh, or into not getting into this type of relationship in the first place. So that non-exploitation piece is really important. And to make sure when we get into relationships that there is an equal power dynamic between the people. Yeah. Beautifully said. I don't even have anything to add. That was great. <laughs> um, I do really enjoy this conversation. I know that the listener at home is going to get so much from this and they are going to want to see where else they can find you on the internet. Tell me a little bit about what projects you're working on and how someone can contact you. Sure. I have a business Instagram. It's brandy.sellers and that's B-R-A-N-D-I-E dot sellers. And my website is mindyourheartcounseling.com. And I am working next year. I'm working with someone who's actually a caregiver to a terminally ill patient. And we're going, we're putting together some clinician resources that we're going to be rolling out next year. Um, but also in the meantime, I am licensed in Texas and Colorado, and I work with individuals and couples, and I really enjoy consulting with other counselors who are seeing cancer patients as well. Got it. I loved what you said about working to help get resources together for clinicians. Have you, in your cancer journey, did you learn that like, there just isn't a lot of cancer informed mental health practi practitioners Yes. And especially in sex therapy, there are not a lot of us that combine the cancer and sex therapy, but yes, it's pretty minimal overall. And what exactly will these resources look like? Is it going to be just for clinicians or will you have resources for patients and caregivers as well? What exactly does the program entail? Um, this program will be just for clinicians. I am working on a self-guided class that couples will be able to sign up for and take at their own pace where one of them has been through treatment and they're kind of on the other side and trying to figure out intimacy issues and things like that. But I'll be posting about that on my website and also on Instagram. So if people are interested in more about those things, they can look there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. You have just been a total wellspring of information, not like I said in the top of the episode, not just because of your cancer journey, but also because of the education that you have sought out. I know that um, some of the things that we touched on are specific to cancer, but also just hearing someone kind of have to start their life over when they're in their mid thirties is an interesting perspective. And I really appreciate you being so vulnerable with us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, that is our time. I want to thank you so much for listening at home. Um, I also encourage you, if you would like your question answered on air, please send an email over to show at willowintimacy.com. Until then, deepen your roots, branch out with love and keep growing. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Kissing in a Tree. We hope you learn something new and that you use it to enrich the relationships in your life. Until next time, we hope you feel loved.